you are listening to a Paranormal Chicks. Surf's up, dudes. Donna and I'm Carrie and we are Paranormal Chicks episode 109 and you just heard from Erin S and her whole kindergarten class super cute I don't know how she wrangles all those kids Mm-mm. maybe that's why she can tolerate us maybe well if you want to introduce an episode just like Erin did head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast okay the first one Hello, ladies. I must say that the two of you have become my new go-to form of entertainment. I just love your vibe, and you both make me snort laugh. I know most of the sinister sightings are scary or true crime, but this one is a little different. When I was four years old, my mother, who was suffering a migraine, had asked our neighbor if she could look after me for a little bit while she took a nap. My neighbor was canning tomatoes, but her 13-year-old granddaughter was there, so she would be able to keep an eye on me. So we were watching TV in the living room, and at a certain point, I got up to use the bathroom, and the girl followed me. I told her I didn't need help, but she insisted that she was supposed to be watching me. While in the bathroom, this 13-year-old girl molested me. I was confused because I did not understand what she was doing, but I knew it was wrong, especially when she said, if you tell anyone, God will kill your mother. Well, after that, I was a changed child. I refused to play outside, especially if that girl was around. I wouldn't eat because my stomach was so sick with worry. I became my mother's shadow. That poor woman did not have a moment's peace from me. I was not sleeping well. My mother got worried about me not eating, so she brought me to the doctor who prescribed me vitamins. This went on for a few weeks. I was exhausted, and the constant worry of me accidentally saying something and potentially losing my mother was like a dark cloud hovering over me. One afternoon, when no one was around, I ventured outside. I wandered around, my four-year-old mind churning with worry, and I came up with a plan. If I died, then I couldn't tell anyone what had happened, and my mother would be safe. So, here was the plan. There was a car parked in front of the house. So what I would do is hide behind the car and wait for another car to come along and I would jump out in its path. Now this was back in 1971. So cars were huge. There was no way it would miss me. So I sat and waited. Finally, a car came along and without a second thought, I stepped into its path. What happened next can only be described as divine intervention. Everything slowed down, and I was lifted up into the air. I know this because I was looking down at the street sun. I felt as though I was wrapped in a soft, warm blanket, but I could also feel someone or something behind me, holding me in their arms. I also remember that everything had a gauzy, iridescent look. I was finally calm, something that I hadn't felt in weeks. 
I'm not sure how long this went on, but the next thing I knew, I was standing in the middle of the street with the car that I had jumped out in front of driving away. There's no way that this car could have missed me. I didn't remember anything after that, including what happened in that bathroom. Cut to about 16 years later, I was driving through this neighborhood, which we had moved out of when I was seven, and my eyes fell on the street sign. The memories came flooding back. I pulled over, I had a cry and a cigarette, I went home and finally told my mother. Side note, karma is real because my molester went on to have a horrible life, and I'm not sorry. Sorry that this was so long. I hope you both enjoy my story. Creep it real, Rose. You can use my real name. So Rose is their real name. Since we usually use Golden Girls names, I was like, wait, wait, that, that's actually their name. Rose, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Sounds like you have a guardian angel that was looking out for you and you were meant for so much more. Your mind definitely put that into its subconscious and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore until I am capable. And then when you were older and could and knew that God wasn't going to smite your mother for telling, you know, and that's what's so fucked up about these predators is that Mm -hmm. they know exactly what to say to scare you into not telling. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going on. You just know that it's wrong, like you said, and you just know that whatever happened to you, you don't want something bad to happen to your mom, too. So you're Mm -hmm. not going to say anything. So I'm so thankful that you were able to talk to your mom about it finally and hopefully work through it. And I'm glad that karma is a bitch. (laughs) Yes. This one's titled Almost Abducted. Hey, ladies. First, I want to start off by saying how much your podcast means to me. I started listening last year, but it means more to me now than ever. I've recently made the move from Georgia to Arizona. I like it, but funny Southern ladies are in short supply down here, and listening to y'all make me feel like I'm home again, surrounded by friends, and that really helps with the homesickness. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I recently wrote in about a possible paranormal encounter in my grandparents' house, but this story is more frightening to me because it involves the living, and God only knows what could have happened to me. I grew up in a Mayberry-like place where nothing bad ever happens, right outside of Augusta, Georgia. I lived in the same house on the corner from the time I was born, and the street that we lived on was a fairly safe area. One where it was completely normal to see little kids playing outside in their front yards and in the street. Before I go into any more detail, I have to say even typing this out is giving me the highest level of anxiety. I was only seven years old at the time and am now 24, but the memories and the panicked feelings from that day have never left and still come rushing back when I think about it. I even remember the outfit I had on. Anyway, like I said, I was about seven years old when I was playing out in the front yard. My mom was in the house folding laundry. I remember I was collecting pine cones and putting them around the base of a big pine tree that was in our yard, but further up by the driveway and closer to the edge of the road. I happened to hear a car coming and I look up to see a white Chevy truck coming down the road and was moving at a good rate of speed. I didn't live on a desolate road or anything like that, so I don't think anything about it and go right back to tending to my pile of pine cones. 
Well, a few seconds later, I look up again because I was expecting to hear the truck pass, but it never did. And I see the truck that was moving along pretty fast has now come to a creepy crawl and is slowly rolling up to the edge of my driveway, which is on the opposite side of the road he should have been driving on. I don't know if this is something that would start to freak out most seven-year-olds or I'm an anomaly, but I started to feel a little uneasy. He had his window rolled down and he was giving me the creepiest, most satanic smile I have ever seen on a human being to date. At this point, I am frozen and I cannot take my eyes off of him because of the way he's looking at me. It had creep written all over it. He had his window rolled down and I can see he has on a bright orange construction hat. Without ever taking his eyes off of me, he opened his truck door and stepped out. I then saw he had on a bright orange vest with jeans and work boots. But y'all, even as a little kid, I remember thinking his outfit looked way out there for an actual construction worker. I don't know how else to explain it other than what an actual construction worker looks like and what you would go and buy from the Dollar Halloween store as a costume, if that makes sense. So he gets out and I'm still frozen the whole time he's looking at me. And then all of a sudden, he starts running down my driveway and into my yard towards me. And y'all, that's the first time I realized I had speed. I dropped all of my carefully collected pine cones and in my long denim skirt and kids turned and took off toward my porch screaming for my mom. My little heart was beating out of its chest. Just as I reached the door handle and flung the screen door open, I turned to see the guy run back up the driveway, jump back in the truck, and speed off. My mom was so upset when I told her what happened and felt like the worst mom in the world. She normally kept an eye on me through the screen door, but had just made a quick run to the bathroom and missed the truck pull up. I was never a skittish kid, and up until this point was always taught to trust and respect adults and would talk to anyone. Call it intuition or just the good Lord speaking to me, but I knew whatever was about to happen wasn't good and was the first time I literally ran for my life. I loved being outdoors, and for a while after that, I refused to go outside and play unless my mom or dad went with me. As scary as this encounter was, unfortunately, I experienced another almost abduction that was a much closer call just a couple of years ago but I will have to save that one for another time. Thank you so much for listening and don't get scared, Brianna. Well, I'm glad it was only a close call and not, you know, the actual thing. And I'm so sorry that you had another close call later on, but uh, send that story in too. Right? Oh my God. Your poor mama. Meanwhile, it's like, it literally takes like two seconds of taking your eyes off your kids and something could happen. And she had to go to the bathroom. Right, and it's something so fucking simple. It's like, but meanwhile, she can go to the bathroom 8 billion times Mm -hmm. and it'd be okay. And it's like that one fucking time. Yep. I used to collect pine cones too and put glitter on them. I used to have to collect the pine cones in our neighbor's yard before we could go swimming in their pool. Oh, God. Like it was like I was friends with their daughter. Yeah. And so my sister Casey and I and their daughter, her name was Shannon, her parents would make us pick up the pine cones in their yard so her dad could burn them, and then we would get to go swimming. And then in Girl Scouts, you'd get the big pine cones, and you'd roll it in peanut butter, and then you'd put mm-hmm. uh, seeds on it. Mm-hmm. For the birds, did that. Or was it for the squirrels? 
Oh, I don't know. We did it for birds. I'm sure it was for birds. I don't know. It's for both because squirrels eat all the birds seed too. Meanwhile, my parents didn't give a fuck and we just left the pine cones. <laughs> Sometimes we'd pick it up when they got a wild hair and they were like, go pick up the pine cones. <laughs> okay, the next one. Donna, girl. Our stories are similar. Hey, ladies. I was listening to Duck, Duck, Goose and Donna was telling the story of her tech stalker. I had a tech stalker myself. Early 2000s, you could get your email through your local internet provider instead of Gmail and Yahoo and stuff. One day, I got locked out of my email, so I called tech support. My maiden name is extremely unusual, so chances are if someone else has that last name, we are related. The guy in tech support is helping me and mentions my last name. He asks if I know Kathy. I say, yes, that's my mom. So we chat and he tells me he used to do security in the building my mom works in. Now, ladies, I know I'm biased, but my mom is beautiful and this guy seemed to have a little crush on her. He turned that little crush on my mom towards me. To get my email back up, you know, the actual reason I was calling for help, he had to assign me a new password. Now he's got me. He called me daily. First, it started as a follow-up. Then, one day, he calls me because he wanted to make sure I got an urgent email that was in my inbox. Dude was straight up reading my emails. After a couple of days of his creepy-ass calls, I tell my boyfriend. My boyfriend and I switched phones for the day. So, when dude called, the next time, he got a very pissed-off boyfriend and not the daughter of his fantasy. I wish that was the end of it, but no. I called to switch my password on my email so he wouldn't have it, but somehow he got it. Emails would get deleted. I would randomly get locked out. Emails were sent that I never sent. I finally had to drop the internet provider because I couldn't get rid of this creeper. That thankfully ended my interactions with this creeper. But one day I had mentioned him to my mom. She remembered him, but just said, really nice guy. Mom, he was hitting on you. She is pretty and smart, but just a little slow on the (laughs) creeper uptake. But I love that woman to death. Creep it real ladies and watch out for tech guys. They know way more than we think they do. Cat. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is fucking terrifying. You're powerless. Yeah. They have literally all, like, you're, you feel, well, you're not powerless. You feel powerless. Yeah. Because call and report them to the company. Yeah. That is not in a victim blamey way, but you're not powerless. It just feels that way. But there are repercussions. And I would have changed internet providers too. Like, I probably, you know, like, I would have just been like, it's yeah. just easier to just change. Yeah. But it's not easier. First of all, all your emails, like all your shit's attached to that email, all your everything. But on the flip side, now he has all that stuff anyway, so. I know, that's so scary. And we're so reliant on technology, you know. And so, yeah, the same thing. You call for help and. They know everything. Yeah. Especially if they like VPN into your computer. Yeah. Man, I did, did your boyfriend answering the phone escalate it at all, I wonder? He probably got scared god scary though that's creepy that he was so local to you yeah like knew everything yeah oh gosh 
bringing back memories and I don't want them. Okay, the next one. Hey, Miss Carrie, I had mentioned in the Creepinati about a 2017 catfishing that happened in the Casa Grande, Arizona area involving my son's good friend, Cody Virgin. A little about Cody. When he was a little guy, his dad bailed and soon his mom met and married Craig Virgin. They welcomed little brother Chase and it was a happy little family until Cody was around 9 or 10 and his mom passed away. Craig was his daddy and Chase was his brother, so they stuck close to get through that tough time. I'm not too sure if his father knew about her passing, but it is what it is. He wasn't a good guy, so it was just left as is. From what I was told, when Cody was about a freshman, the father shows up on Craig's doorstep out of the blue. Craig tells him to fuck off and stay out of my son's life, which he does for a while. Somehow, Cody finds out that nobody told him and was pissed, and I believed moved out of state for a few years. So my son and both Cody and Chase, as well as Craig, are all super cool. My ex worked a lot of hours, and Craig was another set of eyeballs in the apartments they lived. It's a pretty small town, so everyone knows everyone, and everyone kind of has their labels, you know? So according to my son, Will was the weirdest fuck guy at parties who wouldn't really talk to anyone. Would just sit in the corner with the beer and watch. You know the guy. Just gives everyone the heebie-jeebies. Then there's my son. The 6'4", drunk ass, running through the house in combat boots, a sparkly tutu, and aviator shades. Anyhow. Fast forward, they're adults. Pretty much, there are a few options for jobs in CG. Pepsi, Frito-Lay, Ross Labs, they make Similac, Walmart, or the prisons. Multiple state, corporation-owned, and Florence Federal. At one point, my son, his girlfriend, Chase, and his girlfriend, Brandy, and Craig, and his new wife, Margarita, were living in my son's home in Tucson. The week that all this came down, my son was at the house, they had all moved out, and my girlfriend and I moved in. When he was acting really strange, like stressed and worried, I asked him what was up and he asked, how long does it take before the police will file a missing persons report? I asked, what's up? He said something weird was going on with Cody and his cousin Connor and a few more friends were really scared for him. Apparently, he was talking to some chick on Facebook that nobody really knew but everyone was friends with and that he went to go meet her, but nobody had heard from him. And the girl he was supposed to meet, her name and profile picture mysteriously changed. Her cousin had screenshot the original name and this one, and everyone was talking about it and asking if anyone had seen him. His girlfriend then posted about revenge or something, and that got screenshotted. So, since Cody is an officer at CCA and it's a small town, the search goes full force, balls to the wall. The sheriff released a press conference asking for information. Soon, Will's name came up. His big truck's missing and he's not talking. The police find out the girl is Will and go to where his phone last pinged. All they see are raked up tire marks and a ton of dried blood. At that point, it's an obvious homicide, and they again question Will. Little redheaded fucker says nothing. 
About a week later, my son knocks on my door trying to hold himself up and ask his mama for a hug. I knew, and I just held my baby as he let out guttural cries for his friend, asking what kind of monster could do this. Mind you, my son is 6'4", 250 pounds with 1 and 7 eighths inch gauges in his ears. Big, scary, old corn-fed boy, as I like to say. They had found a body out by Picacho Reservoir smoldering. I really hope I said that place right. Sorry. Burned beyond recognition. He was identified by ring and later by dental. The murder site and the dump site are both extremely secluded and a good 20 miles apart. Will was charged with this murder, but from what I'm told, has never said a word. He has gotten in trouble for harassing Natalie, his ex, and Cody's actual girlfriend at the time, and for having his mom and sister harass her too. Friends came from all over the country, and my son said not a dry eye was left when the prison guards broadcasted Last Call. I've never been so proud of those kids as I was that day. They were bad in high school, breaking into houses, stealing meds, and having skittle parties— going to school stoned or drunk half the time, being the little shits that everyone expected them to be. But this day, they were all adults, and I believe four of the group were prison guards or first responders. Blessed. As for Will, the last I heard, the trial was delayed yet again. The family seeking the death penalty, and I agree. Why was Will, like, catfishing him? I guess because he was with... His ex. Yeah, but that's so, like, how they say, like, no dick is worth it. Like, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, I know that's, like, so crude in the, I guess I shouldn't say that in, like, some when somebody dies. But it's, like. No, that's that's it. Well, like, nothing is worth, like, no relationship with someone is worth killing someone else over. Well, especially when she has chosen not to be with you and has moved on. And then you, you know, like, have harassed her, and she still hasn't wanted to go back with you. Like, you killing her current boyfriend isn't going to do anything. But then again, we're trying to put logic to Mm -hmm. the illogical, and they're of the, if I can't have her, nobody can mindset, so it doesn't matter. But in that case, shouldn't he want to kill the girlfriend? You think. I mean, don't kill anybody, but you think. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad that they, you know, had to do that. And like you said, though, like that all made them grow up. And I hope that they take that because it's like something that wasn't serious, you know, like an online person, whatever, is serious. Mm-hmm. Like there is danger in that. And then being first responders and prison guards and stuff they're going to see a lot of shit that might just seem small that's really serious. It's true. Okay, the next one. Hi, girls. I'm a new convert to your podcast, and I'm binge listening to all of your podcasts. I just had to write in after listening to Sinister Sightings episode 62 about the girl who could dream someone passing away and then it happens. Well, I have something similar that is super creepy. My gift is that I can talk to someone on the phone, a friend or a relative, and the next day they pass away. The first time this happened was when I was in my teens. I thought it was a coincidence. 
I don't even believe in coincidences anymore. As I grew older, it happened more often. I even had a phone call where this friend hung up after we chatted, and then she suffered a stroke and passed away an hour later. I've come to terms with this ability. I look forward to crank calls or someone trying to sell me something over the phone because it's not someone I know. Kidding. I hate crank calls and advertisers. I know I'm an empath and sensitive, and I have walked into a room, felt the vibe, and walked right back out. I've changed a lot of hotel rooms because it just didn't feel right. Thank you for the podcast. You two make me laugh. Keeping it real, Libby. Wait, like, so, like, they they just call you up? Like, it's just random? Or, like, something specific happens while you're on the phone? I have questions. Because mm-hmm, if that's the case, you're the one person I would rather text. Yeah, I would never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever call you. Mm-mm. If you call them, does it happen? Or right. do they have to call you? I was about to say, I'd just be like, you call me whenever. Yeah, I'd text you and be like, hey, love to chat sometime. Call me when you can. <laughs> or not. It's cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, y'all keep, y- y'all and your damn powers. Add <laughs> Tiffany to y'all's damn Their thing. group chat? <laughs> yes. Hey, y'all. My name is Misty, and I have no shame in my game. Please use my name. <laughs> I'm a new member of the Creepinati, and they spelled it, like, naughty as in, you know. Q. Yes. Also me, because they put LOL after it. You know I do LOLs all the time. And I love you girls. I wanted to write in and give Carrie a true crime story from my hometown. A little backstory to start. I'm from a small town in northwest Ohio. We are talking farmland. Now, let's get things straight. I'm a Southern girl raised between Ohio and Atlanta, and all the Southern things stuck. My small town is called Upper Sandusky, not near the lake, to be clear. This story takes place back in the 1950s, and I heard it from my grams. I did some research to bring you the full story, so here it goes. Okay, so you're trying to take my spot on the podcast. Okay, I'll see, I'll see how this is going. Well, this is called the Red Slipper Murder. Oh. I already know what this is. Dorothy, she came down, killed the Wicked Witch's sister. Then she got the Ruby Slippers. Done. That's all? Why did they make that movie so long? (laughs) On the morning of September 18th, 1953, on a dirt road outside of a small town named Upper Sandusky, Ohio... A highway department worker was driving down the road when he noticed a large parcel laying inside the woods. Once he inspected it, he realized what he had found. A semi-nude body of a girl clad only in a flannel nightgown and a pair of red ballerina slippers. He quickly contacted the sheriff, and the sheriff was the youngest sheriff in Ohio at the time, Dean McAllister, sheriff of Wyandotte County. Hopefully I said that place right. Sorry. When the young sheriff arrived on the scene, they realized they had a problem. Um. Hopefully the body was the giveaway. Right. The killer had been brutally methodical in their attempt to prevent the ID of the girl. The murderer had battered the girl's face into raw pulp, Mm. (gasps) obliterating all recognizable features. Dr. Hathaway, the coroner, counted 16 separate blows with a blunt instrument rained down on the girl's face. 
Four of her teeth had been knocked out. Vivid bruise marks on the body showed the killer had throttled her and had jumped or kicked her in the chest and stomach. Shaken, the young sheriff later told reporters it was the most vicious murder he had seen so far in his career. A quick search of the wooded area showed that the attack had taken place elsewhere with the body being brought there after. There is no jewelry on the victim, although a thin tan line on her wrist showed that she wore a bracelet or a slim watch. The investigators turned to the two scanty items she was wearing. The shoes she wore seemed fairly new, carrying the trademark cover girl on the inside seam. The nightgown was also new, with the creases still in from the manufacturer. The ground was too hard from the recent freeze to show footprints or tire treads. In Ohio, you can have 90-degree days and then 20-degree days in the same week or day. The sheriff knew then that they would have to rely on the autopsy to figure out what had happened to the girl. The results seemed to tell the story of the girl's demise. The victim was several months pregnant and had had sexual relations shortly before the murder and seemed to be consensual with no signs of force. The murder took place around 9 to midnight the night before. The girl was between 18 and 24 years of age, 5 foot 4 inches tall. Her hair was brown with a tinge of auburn. The absence of any ring marks on her left hand showed that she was most likely not married. She had been strangled first, which ended her life, then the blows to the face, counting 16, and that was all they had to go on. A local funeral home tried to put the poor girl's face back together to help ID her, which sadly didn't work either. Newspapers put her face and the shoes on the front pages trying to find answers. All they found was more questions. At the time, it was popular for newspapers to run tragic love story deaths, and they figured this one fit the profile. Girl gets pregnant, and the boy doesn't want to ruin his life, so he offs the girl. Insert hate of assholes here. The sheriff only had what they found the girl wearing to try to identify her, and find who did this to her. They started with the flannel nightgown. It was new and had no tags or other markings to tell where it had been bought. They even assumed it may have been homemade. The other item was the red ballet slippers. The sheriff used the shoes as they had the only traceable information. Using the CoverGirl label, McAllister tracked the shoes to a cobbler in Columbus, Ohio. He found that these shoes were special order for a family in White Plains, New York. The File Family McAllister traveled to White Plains and tracked the family down. When he met Mrs. File, he inquired about the shoes. He found out that they had been made for her daughter, Cynthia, who had recently traveled to Ohio to work and start a new school. She was staying with a friend near Cleveland. Cindy, as her family called her, had been enrolled at Ohio Wesleyan in Delaware, Ohio, and felled out, so she was working trying to get into another college in Ohio. Her mother told them that she had a boyfriend, but they made her break up, stating that they were not ready for a serious relationship and wanting her to finish school first. Upon hearing this news, McAllister traveled back to Ohio to find Cynthia and her friend. When they arrived in Cleveland to find her, they only found her friend. She told them that Cindy had quit her job and had no plans to return to school. Cindy was in Delaware. 
She traveled there to stay with her boyfriend, and they had not broken up. McAllister decided to go to Ohio Wesleyan to find the boyfriend. Having her name, they had a place to start. Also knowing that she had a serious boyfriend that the parents did not want her to pursue gave them a possible motive because the victim was pregnant. When they arrived back in Delaware, they began asking around about Roy and Cindy. They were told by other students that she was in a serious relationship with Roy Schneigel, a 19-year-old boy from Mayfield Heights, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. He was a member of a frat there, but Cindy did not return to school that year. Thinking they had the right suspect, McAllister decided to talk to Roy. They found him at his frat house, and without saying her name, they said, We have some questions for you about a girl you may know. We think you know her, and we think you can identify her. Roy went with them reluctantly, stating that he did not want to miss class. They headed back to Upper Sandusky to do the interview. Roy's resolve soon broke when he asked on the ride, Is this about Cindy? The officers nodded, and he said nothing. During the interview, Roy talked freely of his relationship with Cindy. They had met the previous year at a freshman mixer. They hit it off right from the start. Both being 18 and from strict families, this was the chance to have a little bit of freedom. Their romance blossomed quickly and were always together. They had plans to marry, and both of their parents objected. It seems that the parents did not object to the relationship, only the want to marry so young. They hatched a plan to get Cindy pregnant so her parents would consent to marriage. Both being very obedient children and never causing trouble for their parents, this act of defiance was a first. The previous spring is when they put their plan into action. Before summer break, they had sex for the first time and met during the summer and also hooked up then. Roy decided to go back to school and after he was settled, had Cindy joining. She recently found out she was pregnant and letting Roy know. She arrived on campus and he had no idea how he would hide her. He decided that he would keep her in the shed behind the football field. He told her under no circumstance should she be seen by anyone. The night of her murder, they had plans to meet. He would ride by with a special honk and she knew to come out and meet him. After they had dinner, they went back to the shed. She went in and changed, came out wearing her new red ballet slippers and a flannel gown. They then made love. He left and told her he would be back later. When he came back, he noticed boys near there and waited. He asked her if they had seen her and she said no, but a man did. He waved at me. At that moment, he saw red. He yelled at her that she had ruined their plans jumping on her and strangling her <gasps> until she was unconscious. What? The, what? Yeah. He thought she was just playing at the time, so he left. He drove around the block and came by with a special honk for her to come out. She did not come. When he got back to the football field shed, she was still lying there, not moving. He tried to revive her, but she would not wake up. He moved her to the backseat of his car and began driving around trying to figure out what to do. After several attempts to bring her back had failed, Roy panicked. He went back to his frat house and found a large, heavy bar at the back of the house. Drove out to the country and pulled her out and beat her face so she <gasps> could not be ID'd. Put her in the trunk and drove aimlessly for two hours, only going about 35 minutes north to Wyandotte County. 
Again, don't know how to say that. I'm so sorry. There, he dumped her. He said that he loved her and never wanted to hurt her. He was charged with first-degree murder on September 25th, 1953. He pled guilty to second-degree murder, getting life with parole. He was released in 1963 and lived out his life in Northeast Ohio. He was released so fast, and that pisses me off because his plans were ruined. He killed her. It's a sad story. Yeah, he was released after, what, 13 years, was it? What year did it say? No, 10. Jesus Christ. Yeah, September 1953 was released in 63. Jesus. There you go. I have more stories to tell if you like. Most paranormal and some crazy stuff. Love, love, love y'all. Creep it real and don't get scared. Misty. Misty, what in the actual fuck? He had her hid away like fucking like a Jodi Arias secret. Right. I was thinking Rapunzel, but. Okay. Also, who says Rapunzel? Nobody. Rapunzel. And then when, you know, somebody just happened upon her, he got pissed and fucking killed her. Oh, I know, right? Like, um, she didn't say they had, they had sex. He waved at her. Jeez. Did somebody see you? Uh, yeah, actually, this guy that was in the area saw me because I came out for sunlight <laughs> because I was turning into a fucking vampire in the cave you were hiding me in. And who, like, oh my God, Roy, no one would even think someone's hiding her back in the shed. Oh, my God. You know, like, it would have just been a person on campus. What in the fuckity fuck, fuck, fuck was that? Wow. And then he beat her, like, sir. And then was like, well, you know what? Let's make her unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Let's do this up. So, uh-uh. Don't play with me saying that... You know, you just snapped and whatever. No, no, no. Oh, I just got, I just panicked. I didn't want people to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That is some aggression. No, you yeah, you you crazy. Yeah, I said that. He crazy. Oh, I mean, thank you for that. But also, I hate him. Like, 10 years for fucking murder. And I feel like there were so many more charges. Desecration of a corpse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I feel like maybe throw some kidnapping in there because, I mean, we don't actually know that she was there of her own free will. It's just his, he just says that she is. I mean, she was in a shed. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we don't know for a fact that she wanted to be in said shed. Right. It's not a she shed. (laughs) The next one is called Sinister Sightings. My dad came face to face with a murderer. Hey, lovelies, due to the craziness of this story, I would like to remain anonymous for the privacy of my dad and the case around it. Let's just jump right in. My dad was a firefighter and a paramedic for 30 plus years. He was always a hero to me and my siblings. He has saved countless lives and had to retire because things were starting to take a pretty tough toll on him. He's always had a huge heart, so having to save anyone hurt him. But this particular day, he had to save one of his very good friends and sadly could not. In 2015, there was a call that a man was shot just down the street from my dad's station. 
The man was taken to the hospital and could not be saved, and the shooter was not found that night. The next day, they found the shooter hiding out at his mother's house, and the police immediately showed up because this guy was now wanted for murder. Where I grew up, the firefighters and the police always had a very strong bond because, unfortunately, there were a lot of shootings and both departments would have to work the scene together. Therefore, the officers that responded to the home where the shooter was hiding was one of my dad's close friends. He was awaiting backup's arrival when he heard shots fired inside the home. He knew he had to go in, even if it was by himself. This is when the shooter opened fire on the officer. Backup and the fire department arrived shortly after. My dad was one of the paramedics that responded. He saw the officer laying in the living room unconscious and bleeding out. No one knew what to do because the shooter was still inside the house. My dad started to walk in the house when another officer stopped him. He held his gun over my dad's shoulder, pulled him on the ground, and said, Crawl, I've got you covered. My dad had to crawl with the officer on his back to drag the other officer out of the house with an active shooter still inside. I can't even imagine what was going through everyone's heads. Thankfully, they got him out with no other shots fired. Unfortunately, the officer could not be saved and the entire community was devastated. This officer was a huge role model and a great friend to many people. When the time came, there was a trial and, of course, my dad has to go testify. He went through months of counseling and didn't know if he could do it. However, my dad is a great, brave man and went to court and helped put this shooter away for good. I will never forget the fear and shock of my mom waking me up in tears to tell me what happened. My dad never really recovered after that and retired last year. I'm sorry if this was hard to follow, but something told me to write this in. It may not be totally true crime, but I thought you guys would get a kick out of it. Thank you for always being the light in our lives. Keep on creeping on. Wow, that is so powerful. First responders have to go through so much trauma that people just don't even realize. And I think that people forget firefighters and especially paramedics as first responders and and the amount of trauma that they see that police officers see as well. I feel like the first time people really paid attention to first responders was 9-11. I think that shows like ER and, you know, those medical dramas Mm -hmm. and stuff are helping. But yeah, I mean, it's just... They're the people that are there when you call them, but you don't think about who they are or what they Mm -hmm. see outside of your needs. But we're so egocentric that we just don't think of stuff like that. Yeah. But we're very thankful for people like your dad who keep us safe and save us when we need saving. And we're thankful that your dad was safe in that situation. Like he had to crawl with someone on his back under fire, like... What in the Saving Private Ryan is going on here? Okay, the last one. Visit to say goodbye caught on camera. Hey now, y'all. Are you ready for some serious what-the-fuck moments with video? Okay, so sit back and let me spook your innards out. As mentioned previous, my wife Kieran had a massive stroke on Saturday, April 6, 2019. 
We were at home when it happened. Her last words were that she was scared and she loved me, followed by a seizure. That is nothing I ever want to have to witness again. Anyway, she had her stroke on Saturday morning. I spent the next three days at the hospital only coming home to feed my poor, confused fur babies. Sunday evening, my bestie, Kieran's ex, drove me to my place and she said that she was going to wait in her car so I could just run in and run out. I step into my place and I'm a fucking wrecked zombie. As I'm stepping through my front room into my kitchen, I literally feel her walk up to my side, put her arms around me and say, it's all right, baby. Everything's going to be okay. I promise. Just know I love you. Holy fuck. I ran out of my place and told Raven what happened. She said, okay, it's okay. The baby's got to get fed, so I'll go in with you. She wouldn't want you to be scared. So I feed them and then sit back in her car just trying to collect myself. I question out loud if I'm hallucinating because of the grief or being tired or what have you. At the exact time, my adopted uncle Janos messages me and asks, uh, did she pass? I replied, no, but at this point, it's expected. Why? He tells me, you will not believe this. Something told me to turn around. I saw her. I know. You just gotta, I just, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. He just kind of trailed off. Janos is a bit of a hermit and a hoarder. So he has security cameras everywhere. He has one running at all times pointed at the front gate because it's the only way in. He was actually setting up another camera on another TV when he heard her tell him to turn around and look at the one on the gate. As he did, he saw what I'm sending you a video of. No words. My jaw dropped. I have learned from your Bobo douche bagans that insects or dust on camera show up either defined or very fast. This was huge and slow. This very slow movement where the gate latches around to the opposite side where the walkway to his front door is. On other cameras, you can actually see something is lighting up the area and moving towards the door. We all know it was her coming to say goodbye before she actually left this world. I showed her family once I got back to the hospital and it seemed to help them. Kind of gave them peace to know that she's okay and ready to go. I have more stories involving her ghostly visits. She may have been small in life, but she was fucking loud. And boy, does she make her presence known. Well, thanks for listening. Keep on spooking the real world, Willow. We just watched the video and I see what you're talking about, that it is a slow movement and it's not just like falling down or gliding across the screen or anything. It there is a movement to it. Yeah, it's like in a wave. Yeah, like a, like an ocean wave, like how you would draw an ocean wave. Yeah, I would almost say like a wow, really, Donna. I was gonna say like dancing a waltz, but you know, like how they that movement. Look, I watched a lot of Dancing with the Stars back in the day, i.e., like up until mm, I don't know three years ago. Oh, so you're an expert? Okay, Carrie and Alba. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. I used to be so excited that her name was Carrie. Oh. Nobody's name is ever Carrie. Yeah. I was obsessed with Felicity, so Carrie Russell was huge in my life. Yes. So I was like, uh. I was obsessed with her because she's Mickey Mouse Club. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, my God, her name's Carrie. And then she was in that babysitter seduction with, oh, I hate him from Seventh Heaven, the dad. Yeah, Ugh. which is, duh, that he would be in that. Uh-huh. But I did love that movie. Lifetime, you know the way to my heart. Also, hair goals. Hey, thank y'all so much for sending in all these sinister sightings. I think this episode was good that people could see there's different links. You know, nothing's too short, nothing's too long. Just send in your story, what you're feeling, what you've experienced. And it doesn't matter if it's just a sentence. Like, oh my God, I was listening to that and like I saw a shadow person. Okay, I do a run on sentence, but whatever. But you know what I mean? It could just be that and... That's your truth. That's what we want to hear. Like Carrie said, thank you so much for sending them in. And just so y'all know, we are in September. That We're like mid-September now. We read every sinister sighting that's sent in, and we read them in the order in which we receive them. So keep sending them in, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.